Have you ever played tug of war where you get two sides and whether it's one person or teams of people and they're pulling in opposite directions and, and they're exerting all this energy to try and get their, the little flag in the middle to go over to, to their side and win the match and all else being equal, what ends up being the result? You have very little movement, right? Even victory is that flag moving only a little bit. For all that energy, it's just sort of hanging out there in the middle. Now imagine if you had a game of tug-of-war where it's going in four different directions, you know, and, and you get everybody all pulling in these four different directions, and all that energy goes out, and all of it, you basically you end up getting nowhere. More to the point, it actually, in order to get somewhere, in order to win, it means somebody else lost. And so you end up celebrating the loss of, that somebody else experienced. Do you ever have a, <clears throat> you ever have a conversation that has that kind of vibe to it? We have two people and they disagree with each other and they're in you know, opposite positions and they're both holding fast. And what's the net result? There's no progress. Or you ever have that kind of conversation with a loved one? And, you know, I think that's where the phrase uh, man cave came from because, you know, guys get sick of having those kinds of conversations and ending up in a doghouse, so we just created man caves out of it. Um, my, my own personal thought on that. So how do we work through the, an exchange like that? Where maybe we disagree, maybe we're at odds with somebody, but we don't want to waste all our energy making no progress in a conversation. How can we engage without burning bridges, without utterly destroying relationships? Well, let's see if the passage for today helps. This is from a letter that Paul writes to a church uh, in a, a town called Ephesus, uh, where he's talking to Christians, but it gives us something that really anybody can glean from as far as how we have these kinds of conversations. Let's check it out. I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Well, perhaps on the surface, it doesn't quite seem like this yields very much for us. Uh, we got a lot of ones in there uh, as far as you know, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father. But what do we do with that? I mean, it lines up well with a thought that we had from two weeks ago, I believe, uh, where I was saying that if we point people to Jesus, we're looking in the same direction, right? If we're both, me and, and another person are looking at Jesus, we're looking in the same direction. And Paul is calling us, calling the church, as he writes this, to this idea of unity. And he acknowledges that even in differences, we follow one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. So back to our tug illustration. Think about it this way. If we have four people, we're doing the four-way tug version here. And we have four people and they're all pulling in opposite directions, north, south, east, and west. And you get no movement. But what happens if we take those same four people and we get them all to pull 
in the same direction. Same, same concept we were just talking about. We're all looking in the same direction. Now we're all going to move in the same direction. You know, all that energy, stuff starts to happen. The group starts to make progress. Whatever their goal is or whatever progress looks like in the arena that they're working in. You know what? That even happens even if one of them is wearing a Red Sox hat and the other is wearing a Yankees jersey. You get them pulling in the same direction. You make progress. What in the world makes this happen? Well, it's the collection, the little collection of clauses known as verse 2 that Paul writes about. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Humility, uh, gentleness, patience, bearing in love. It sounds like Paul is stealing lines from his fruit of the Spirit that he writes about in Galatians in another letter. I mean, somebody write this guy up on plagiarism charges because he is describing what a Christian should look like, whether they're talking to a believer or somebody who's never been to church before in their life. He's giving it an example of some of the stuff that a Christian ought to be practicing, whether talking, to take it into our context for today, whether talking with somebody who agrees with them or somebody who completely disagrees with them. What if, let's say, just as a uh, devil's advocate point, what if somebody doesn't share my beliefs or doesn't about anything? You know, we disagree about everything. All right, fine, perfect. Watch this idea. Let's take something that you value uh, in your hand. And I have had this, uh, this chess piece on my desk since probably the last time I used this illustration a couple of months ago. And there must be a reason why I didn't put it away so I could use it again today because it fits perfectly, I think. Let's take something valuable and we hold it in one hand, okay? And that's sort of what this represents here. And we engage with somebody or we shake hands with the other hand. Now, here's my question. Did I lose what was valuable in, in my hand? No. Did it break or lose value because I engaged with somebody who thinks differently? No. Maybe I even learned how to value this more because I engage with somebody who thinks differently, who has a different perspective or a different approach, or maybe just plain old disagrees with me, even, even if it's for no other reason than to say, I want to disagree with you. Now, let's broaden the idea up a little bit. Can we learn from somebody who has a different point of view? Yes, absolutely. Can we learn from somebody who just flat out disagrees with us? Yes, absolutely. Even if the thing that we learn is how to disagree in love. That's something we could all use more of, amen? Whether we're a, a Christian or not, whether you go to church or not, we could all, if all of us learned how to disagree and do it well and do it in a loving way, our communities would be a better place. This world would be a better place, even if just in some small way. Now, I'm all for the idea of defending convictions, you know, for, for hanging on to the things that we value that are core values of who we are. But pride, which is the opposite of the humility that Paul was talking about in this letter that Paul calls us to, pride would say, I'm right, you're wrong, end of story. Now, conviction notwithstanding, it's 
because I get, again, I get the idea of hanging on to something that's important or a conviction that we have, but it's the end of story part that gets us in trouble or that causes trouble, causes those rifts. We, We don't have to neatly resolve everything in the end, but can we be Christian in the process? Can we keep the conversation going? How do we, and I'm speaking specifically to believers at this point, how do we point somebody to life that they can experience in Jesus Jesus without them having to trip over us to get to it? And Paul is laying it out there. He's laying it out with these clauses. Humility, patience, love. See, people are more likely to pay attention when the message that we give has unity. And Paul is writing about unity interpersonally, you know, between multiple people. But the idea still fits with unity in our message, between how unity in our words and unity in our attitude and and the way we present our message. You know, if I say, Jesus loves you, you evil son of a gun, there's disunity. It's like the words and the delivery, they don't line up. And people can pick up on that. It's like saying, I love you with gritted teeth. That just, that sets off the fake radar in an instant. And when we trigger the fake radar, it doesn't matter how good our evidence is, how good our case is, you're done. You're, you're baked. You're finished. But when the message has unity in what we're saying and how we're delivering it, when we say Jesus loves you and it's done with humility and gentleness and patience and with love, when the listener on the other side of the, of the conversation knows that their thoughts matter in the conversation, even when they completely may disagree with our thoughts, that gets us out of the way so that the Holy Spirit can do what only the Holy Spirit can do, transform lives. Now, trust me, I say, I say this knowing it from experience and sometimes from the wrong end of experience. I've made more progress focusing on being a Christian rather than I'm being competent. Let me say that again. I've made more progress in these kinds of conversations by focusing on being Christian rather than being competent. And I spent many years focusing on being competent, trust me. As Kerry Newhoff says in in many different ways, and and he puts these words together in, in different conglomerations, but he says, character finishes what competency starts. You know, speaking of just about anything. Your competency can only get you so far. Your character has to be able to sustain you. And it's your character, how you deliver. Do you have the humility, the gentleness, the patience, the love that can sustain your message, that can give it some weight, some value amongst those who even though they may hear your words and disagree, they think, you know what, there's something about this person that I have to, I got to give them some credit. I got to give them Give their thoughts some, some energy to, to pay attention to and to listen to. But there can be those moments, yes, when we want to engage with somebody. We want to point them to the life they can have in Jesus. But we get that nagging pit in our stomach question. What if they answer a question that I can't answer? So allow me to resource you a little bit. If you've ever run into that and you kind of have this deer in headlights that somebody's going to ask you the, a super difficult question, you're not going to know what to do and you're going to look 
foolish or incompetent. I'll give you two ways that we can do it. First off, we a couple weeks ago we were talking about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And Philip was asked a hard question out of the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah can be difficult you know, any, way you, any way you look at it. But he's asked a hard question by this, this guy who's exploring faith. And when he's asked the, the question, the eunuch took, he took, Philip took the eunuch to Jesus. See, Jesus takes so much of what is tricky to understand about God, and we can't quite put our finger on it and, and make sense of it because we can't see it. And he, Jesus takes so much of that, and he puts skin on it. It's one of the reasons that God was so brilliant to come, literally, and put skin on, so that we could understand who God is and how God functions. So we take him to Jesus. We find a way, and yes, sometimes it takes a little bit of practice to be able to do this, but we find a way to go from wherever they are and point them to Jesus. And then we end up looking in the same direction, as I had said earlier, instead of looking in opposite directions and have this conflict thing going on. But what's another thing we can do? And this is probably even more universal than that idea that I just gave you. Is we admit, that's a good question. You know, very few of us, actually using those words, that's a good question. Very few of us are walking Google databases. I am definitely not one, much as I said, as I've worked on trying to uh, enhance my competency. But that's where being humble, being loving, it's the honest way to answer a question where we just don't know the answer. I don't know the answer. Simple as that. But I can find out. And what that does, for some, it, it can be difficult to admit that we don't know the answer. Again, I have been one, worked on my competency, and being willing to say, I don't know, especially in a public arena, you know, when I'm up in front of people or something like that, um, that's, that can be a difficult thing. I get that. But sometimes, just giving yourself the time to form an answer, rather than just to offer a platitude or you know, quote a, a Christian meme that you see online or something like that, it shows respect for the question. Hey, I don't know an answer. I'm not going to give you a, you know, a glib answer. I'm actually going to think about it. And then we take time to form an answer, um, even if it's not perfect. You know, we go back and we look at the Google databases or, or talk to other believers and, and try and just get some, a couple different perspectives on how they might answer. And we come up with with something that makes a little bit of sense and that shows hey your question's important enough I'm going to spend the time looking at how to, to how to answer it what right because the point isn't to end the conversation or even worse the point isn't to try and win the conversation that can just go down a rabbit hole of bad stuff that can happen out of that the point is to keep it going because the more somebody is willing to engage with this idea, as little of it as they may engage with, if they're willing to engage with the idea that there's real life in Jesus, that's all the more that the Holy Spirit can soften their heart to accept that life. Now, this week, I want you to make that part of your prayer. And Yes, I'm saying this mainly to believers, but you know what, even a non-believer can can roll with this a little bit. Make it a part of your prayer that God would change your heart. God would change my heart to shape it a little bit more 
with the humility, with the gentleness, with the patience, with the love that we could all benefit from. So that when those opportunities come to engage with others, whether they agree with us or not, you're ready. And your character is willing to, to help in so many ways that people can see, even if they look at you and think, your answer, I don't get your answer, but your character makes sense. You're coming at it with humility, with gentleness, with patience, with love. You're ready. And people will thank you for that. Let's pray together. God, thank you for loving us enough to put skin on so that we can experience what you are like. Help us to be formed more and more into that, that image that you created us in. That image that, that runs with love and patience and kindness and humility that we might be able to, to show people who you really are. And as people, as your Holy Spirit works in people's lives, they're not stumbling over us to get to you. So help us be a conduit rather than a speed bump. And may you get the glory and the honor. Amen. <laughs>